tonight, I want to kind of tie into this morning. I uh, give you a little bit of a testimony, a little bit of a confession. When I was uh, first saved, when I was a young believer and young in the ministry, all of that type of thing, I had this idea that grace was needed for salvation. Now, that's true, isn't it? You need grace for salvation. For by grace are you saved, the Bible says. But I kind of had the idea that once I was saved, I didn't really need it all that much anymore. In fact, I had a little bit of the attitude. Uh, we went to Arkansas this weekend, and our 10th grandchild, Sutton, he had a hard time getting here, and there were problems after he was born. He was premature, and... We were kind of worried about him and that kind of thing. So he celebrated his first birthday and so wanted to be there for that. We wanted to celebrate with him. That's quite a milestone. And uh, while we were there, uh, little Easton, I don't remember which number he is, but uh, he was sitting in my lap and he was telling me that in school he was learning phonics. And I immediately thought of all those commercials for hooked on phonics worked for me. Remember those? And uh, so we were doing those things. I was asking him uh, different uh, letters and sounds and, you know, all of that type of stuff, just trying to help him. And um, I would be honest to say that I had the idea. I don't know where I got it. Somebody must have given it to me or helped me along. But I had the idea that the gospel and things like grace were like the phonics. Okay. Easton may learn those, and someday he may be able to read a legal document and with all of the words and everything like that, but he can't right now. He's just learning the basics. And I thought, well, grace and salvation and the gospel, that, that's kindergarten. I've moved on past that. I mean, by that time, I probably thought I was spiritually working on my Ph.D., and I didn't need all of that basic stuff. And the Bible talks about moving on from milk to meat and to maturity and that kind of thing. But um, I, I missed something and I messed up. I didn't understand and uh, didn't quite put it all together that I never outgrow my need for grace. That would be a little bit like saying, here's a little baby. They're born today and they come out and they start breathing. And then when the time uh, the baby is five, go, you still breathing? You're still on that? I mean, that's silly. Grow up. Come on. Aren't you way past that now that you're mature? And no, you, you breathe all the way through your life. Grace is in some ways maybe uh, like breathing or drinking or eating or something. It's something that you need at the beginning, but you need it all through your life. And uh, I also believe this now, too. We need the gospel, no matter how old we are in the Lord, no matter how many years we've been saved, we need the gospel every day and all throughout our life because we need to remember a Savior died. We need to remember our unworthiness. We need, we need to remember the price He paid. And we need to remember that our relationship with God is always undeserved. So we're going to be looking at several scriptures tonight. So be sure you have your Bible out. Uh, I quoted a little bit this morning from Paul Tripp. Here's another quote from him about this. Grace is one of the most overused words in the church. And I'm afraid that we use all these theologically beautiful words without knowing what we are saying. In fact, uh, he, he says in this thing I was reading that grace may be one of the most overused and underdefined words in the church. Now, the idea of grace in the Greek, it always has 
two aspects to it, always these two. Number one would be that it is never deserved. It's always a gift. It's given by somebody greater than us. And secondly, it's always a thing of beauty and it adds beauty into our lives. And so that's why we think about somebody that may do something athletically or in dance or something like that. Oh, that was a graceful move. Or maybe you say something to somebody that instead of retaliating what they did and saying, you know, same to you but more of it kind of thing. But you respond and we say, oh, they were very gracious in their response on all of that. It was a thing of beauty. But understand it's always undeserved when it comes from the Lord. Now, when we define grace, the traditional Baptist definition that uh, most of us cut our teeth on is the unmerited favor of God, right? And, and that's true. There's not a thing wrong with that definition. Unmerited favor of God. It's always undeserved. We don't deserve any of it. We don't earn any of it. And all of our life is by grace. If you took E.E., Back in the day, D. James Kennedy defined it. If you take G-R-A-C-E and each letter stands for something, then it's God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. G-R-A-C-E. Nothing wrong with that either because any grace that God gives you is always because of what Jesus went through on the cross and the price that he paid for your sins. And... Uh, there was another pastor that I heard that defined it like this. Just kind of looking at this, making sure we understand it. He said, it is everything that God the Father is able to do for you because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It's pretty good, isn't it? Everything he is able to do for you because of what Christ did on the cross. And so in him we live and move and have our being, the Bible says, and uh, we have every day as a gift from God and the grace of God all in our life, even the comfort of things like air conditioning and being able to have hot water in your house. That's part of the grace of God. He makes it rain on the just and the unjust. That's the grace of God, common grace, we call that, that everybody experiences it. And uh, think about a lost person, somebody who's never going to be saved. If they live on this earth to be a hundred years of age and then die and go to hell, how is grace involved in that? Because that's a hundred years they didn't have to be in hell. Okay? Every breath a lost person takes is the grace of God and they don't even understand it. Every little bit of comfort that they have on this earth is by the grace of God. Anytime they feel love, anytime they feel happiness, anytime they feel joy, anytime they feel comfort, anytime anything goes right for them and they have money or anything like that, that is the grace of God and they don't even know it. And that's what grace does. It operates in every part of our lives. And the problem is we as believers need to know it. Now, what started changing my mind about this idea about grace is when I read in the book of James in the fourth chapter. So go ahead and turn to James chapter 4. And uh, we're going to make a point out of this. And uh, we'll kind of major on this first point and upon uh, these scriptures that are here. And we're going to make this statement. Grace is perpetually needed and available. Now it would be terrible if you needed grace and you couldn't get it. Just like it must be awful to uh, drown. I, I, I can't think of, well, maybe burning to death, but uh, drowning sounds terrible to me. To have air 
and you can't get it. I remember one time I was uh, at a lake and uh, I, I took a dive into the water and went down a little further than I intended to. And I remember as I was coming back up, the dark, murky water uh, was all around me. And I'm thinking, am I ever going to get to the top? And then all of a sudden I saw the sun kind of lightening up the water. And it's like I couldn't get to the surface fast enough. And when I did, it was, uh, 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 you know, gasping for air. Uh, that's a terrible feeling. I can't imagine being in a situation where you're in water and you need air and you can't get it. And what if grace were pet perpetually needed in our lives? Every day, every situation, we need the grace of God. But what if we just couldn't get it? And that's what I love about John chapter 1. We have tasted of his fullness and grace for grace. Whenever we take a, a, a withdrawal of grace out of the grace bank account, it's immediately replaced. There's never a deficit in it. And there's always more than we need, as we said this morning. Grace that is greater than our sin. And uh, James says that. Let's look at verses 1 through 6 of James chapter 4. And James says, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure, that war in, our, uh, in your members? You lust, and that's not always a sexual term, by the way. It just means a strong desire. You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. Now, you've heard that verse a lot, but... Probably you don't tie it. It usually is isolated from this situation. Where does all of the junk come in the world, in churches, in families, even among Christians? It's because we have these unmet desires and we're not humble enough to pray. And we don't see the need for the grace even in that. You do not have because you do not ask. And then he goes on to say in verse 3, You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it or consume it on your own pleasures. In other words, your motive stinks. Your motive is bad. And you're like a little kid that's asking for something that would be harmful. And God, your father, loves you too much. Then James gets really strong in verse 4. Adulterers and adulteresses. And he's speaking spiritually, of course, the way we treat God. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? You can't have it both ways. Uh, whoever therefore desires to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now that gives me chills when I think of how many churches conduct their services, their ministry, and their philosophy to be acceptable to the world and to make the world like them. Look what, look what James says. Whoever therefore desires to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And then verse 5. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain... The Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, who dwells in you, yearns jealously. Now, verse 5, this is what changed my view. But He, God, gives, what does your Bible say right there? More grace. More grace? I thought I got all I needed when I got saved. I thought I was done with that. I thought that was ABCs. I thought that was kindergarten. I thought that was grammar school, elementary school. I moved on way past that. But James says God is constantly giving us more grace, more grace for anything and everything 
that we go through. The undeserved favor of God, God's riches at Christ's expense, and everything God is able to do to you on the basis of the death of Christ, God is constantly pouring that into your life. And therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And there's the key. I think everything that he said before this part, uh, before this point, comes down to whether we're humble or whether we're proud. And the proud people think they can handle it. They think they've got it. They think they're working on their spiritual PhD when they really ought to be back in kindergarten like I was. And uh, we, we think that, oh, I don't really need to pray about this. I don't really need to uh, have much grace for this. I've got this. Lord, if I need you, though, I'll, I'll call on you later on. And we don't understand the old hymn was right. I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. And so uh, grace is something that is perpetual and it is also available. God doesn't just set you up to where you need it, but you can't get to it. It's there and you can have it any time you are in need of it, which is all the time. And where do you find it? You find it in Christ. And it comes not because you deserve it, not because you've earned it, not because you've been a good boy, not because you checked all the boxes, not because you did everything you've been told was right. It comes because you humbled yourself before the Lord. And by the way, you have to do that to be saved. The Bible says, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And that lordship of Christ is in there. You can't just say, Jesus is Lord, like it's some kind of transaction. That is a surrender that you say, you're the king, you're the master, you're the boss, and I will follow you and I will do what you say, and I need you, you don't need me. And some people act like that God is just really, really lucky to have them on their team. And they don't understand luck doesn't have anything to do with it. It's the grace of God. And you're the one that benefits because God has allowed you to be a part of his family. And he indwells you. And you have all the riches and the fullness of uh, Jesus Christ. And so grace is perpetually needed. And it is also perpetually available for all of us because he gives more grace. But the key there is the humility to actually see the need and to ask for the need. So uh, ramp up your prayer life a little bit here because that really is important. Now the next thing, if you'll turn to Romans chapter 5. Uh, boy, these are just beautiful, beautiful verses in here. Grace is necessary for a relationship with God. Okay, we, we sing about that amazing grace, but we're sort of bored by that sometimes. It's not always all that amazing, but we need to really stop and think about it. Why would God want us? Why would God die for us? Why would God care about us? He could have just said, you know, all of you just go ahead and go to hell where you belong. But he didn't. This is an amazing thing. And to think of how Jesus suffered when he was on the cross, the wrath of God for us... Uh, this is amazing, and yet that's the only way we can come to God. That's why there are not a multiplicity of ways to come to the Lord. It all has to come through Jesus, by grace, through faith, by grace, through faith. Nothing added, nothing subtracted from all of that necessary for a relationship with God. And Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verses uh, 1 through 5, uh, follow along with me. Therefore, having been justified by faith... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
I mean, it's not through my sinner's prayer. It's not through my decision. It's not through my reformation. It's not through any of that. No, it is always through Jesus Christ. Verse 2, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace. Now look at this, in which we stand. How is it that you stand against the enemy? Well, I've got my armor on and I've exercised and I've learned a lot of doctrine and I stand strong because I've paid the price. That's not what Paul said. Paul said, you stand only by the grace of God. If it were not for the grace of God, you'd be defeated every time you were tempted. You'd be destroyed every time you were attacked. You would lose every battle and the devil would go ahead and just take you out. And you would not be able to withstand him. The only way you are able to stand in Ephesians 6 style against the enemy is to stand in humility and in faith and in the grace of God. God and so this grace in which we stand that also means you're not going to lose your salvation you stand in grace not in your performance I heard Jimmy Swaggart one time he uh, said that for you Baptists out there who believe that once you're saved you're always saved you cannot possibly be saved and be in a bed of adultery now those of you who are old enough you realize that's a really ironic statement for that guy isn't it because he turned out to be immoral. One, and, and he's still in the ministry and still singing and preaching and doing those kind of things. Occasionally I see him on TV. He's pretty old, but he's still going on and still doing it. And I wonder what he would say about that statement now. Because we don't stand by our performance. We don't stand because we didn't do certain things. We don't stand because we did certain things. We don't stand by any merit of our own. Paul makes it really clear that it's in the grace of God in which we stand. And he goes on to say, And rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who was given to us. How was the Spirit given to us? Given to us by grace, not by anything else, just because God has been pleased to do it. That's just who He is. So grace is necessary for this relationship with God. And we continue in that by grace, and we go to heaven by grace, and the eternity that will be in heaven will be because of the grace of God, and you're going to have the opportunity to actually look upon the one who saved you by his grace. You're going to see the nail prints in his hands and in his feet and be reminded of grace. You're going to run into some people in heaven that you go, I didn't know you were here, and then you're going to be reminded all over again of the grace of God. I sometimes wonder if when we get to heaven, uh, Wesley said one time, when I get to heaven, I'm going to be surprised about three things. Number one, who's there. Number two, who's not there. And number three, that I'm there. Amen? And that's going to be the big thing. And I wonder how many people are going to be there that we're going to be shocked. Because maybe there was a deathbed conversion, but the way we keep people drugged now and all of that, which, don't get me wrong, if uh, I go to hospice tonight, give me all the medicine you can. I don't want to hurt, okay? I'm not afraid to die. I am afraid to hurt. You know, don't look spiritual because you'll probably take them too. And, uh, you know, that's the kind of thing I just don't want to hurt. But because of that, 
You know, we don't have many things. I've, I've got books in uh, my library about the last words of saints and sinners. You don't hear many last words anymore. And if you do hear a last word, it was a week before they died or something like that. We don't really get all of that kind of thing so that we hear it. But, boy, some of the old saints that just died a natural death on things. One of them, Dwight L. Moody, an evangelist, uh, they say that he sat up in bed and said, Is this death? Hallelujah! And we've seen other people that have said, I, I see angels, and I hear the bells, and I hear the music, and oh, there's just, it's just beautiful. And, uh, you know, and they die with a smile on their face and that, that type of thing. I think about how uh, we don't see that as much anymore, but you're going to experience it. Now, how many of those people that are out with the drugs that are given to them, how many of them have a visit from the Holy Spirit while they're in that state? Wouldn't that be amazing to see that some reprobate who never had any reason for Jesus, that while he is in a coma before he dies, he thinks on the gospel and trusts Jesus Christ as his Lord and is called by God unto salvation by sovereign grace. And then he ends up in heaven and we go, I had no idea you were going to be here. I wonder how many of those there will be. Uh, we have no idea. But the grace is what gives us hope and that's necessary for a relationship with Christ. Number three, there is grace for victory in suffering. Did you know you don't have to suffer in defeat? 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 9. And as Paul is facing a, a tremendous hardship, it says in verse 9, And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect, or complete is a better word there, complete in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities. Anybody done that lately? Boast in my infirmities. Why? That the power of Christ may rest upon me. And what did the Lord say to him about that thorn in the flesh? Don't worry about it, Paul. Whatever you go through, however hard it may be, we don't even know exactly what it was, but my grace is sufficient for you. And I uh, want to just say, whatever it is you may face in life, it may be your own death. It may be cancer. It may be the death of someone you love. It may be a financial reversal. It may be an economic downturn or any number of things that could happen, a betrayal or anything like that. One thing we know for sure, if it was true for Paul, it's true for us as well. His grace is sufficient. And if we are not withdrawing out of the bank account of grace and downloading that into our lives and into our accounts and not taking advantage of the more grace that is available and we're trying to handle it on our own, handle it in our pride, handle it in our strength, handle it in our ability, handle it in our own experiences, then we're going to come up short and those trials are going to get the best of us. And uh, we want to be victorious not only over our trials but in our trials. Some trials are never going to end. There's going to come a series of events that are going to lead to the point to where you go to heaven. How are you going to go to heaven? With a shout? With a victory? Or are you going to go in defeat? The grace of God is what is uh, sufficient for all of those things. But see, if you're like I was, I wouldn't have even asked for it because I didn't think I needed it. I've already been saved. What do I need grace for? Well, you need grace even for those trials like Paul's thorn in the flesh we all know uh, number four 
the grace that we need for salvation. And uh, this is something I include in here because we have this tendency to go, well, everybody knows that. Well, apparently not everybody does because there are all kinds of churches and religions and cults and people that just have these weird ideas about salvation and how you get to heaven. You don't believe me? Just ask them sometimes. And some people, even in the church, it just, it, it just not, doesn't seem to connect with them. Because uh, some people, you'll ask, how do you get to heaven? Well, you've got to walk, walk down front to get to heaven. Really? I've searched my Bible for that one all over the place. Well, you've got to ask Jesus into your heart. Really? That's not a, I understand what you're saying, but that's not a Bible phrase. And that's not taught anywhere in the New Testament. And uh, other people have different ideas, like the Judaizers. Well, you've got to trust Christ, then you've got to go through the ritual of circumcision in order to... Really? Where in the Bible does it say that? It's all by grace. And we're always trying to pervert this, add something to it, and we always want to get in on the mix. I've got to do something. I've got to be involved in all of this, or it's not real. But the Bible says in Ephesians 2... Verses 8 and 9, wonderful words again. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You know, I would uh, hate it if I got to heaven and I found out that everybody there had done more than I had done. And they look at me and say, well, loser, why didn't you do more? You just barely made it by the skin of your teeth. And then uh, I'm glad because when I read the Bible, I realize I don't make it to heaven by the skin of my teeth. I make it to heaven by the blood of the cross. And it's the sufficient sacrifice. And we're all equally in need of that blood. And we all are equal in the blood of of the Lord Jesus Christ because it's all by grace not by anything that we have done and so when you see somebody that you go well why didn't you get saved sooner why didn't this make sense to you sooner just remember it's the grace of God and they can't do it without the grace of God but when that grace is applied that's when they are drawn to the Savior for some people get saved when they're young some people get saved as teenagers some get saved when they are young adults some get saved when they are older some get saved when they're even on their deathbed my grandpa didn't get saved until he was in his 60s I don't know why that's so rare but I'm thankful that he did trust the Lord Jesus in that and that's all because of the grace of God not because of anything else and then uh, number five this is what I call helping grace you ever find yourself needing help and uh, like a little kid that comes up to you maybe one of your children or your grandchildren when they try to do something and they can't and then they turn to you and they go help me help me and you as a good parent, you help them and they do that and then they you know, walk away taking the credit for it. Look what I did. And we do that sometimes with the Lord. But did you know the Lord is our ever-present help in time of need, it says? And in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, I, I love this. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Grace to help. Did you know grace is a force in your life? That grace helps you to do what you could never do. Grace overcomes the flesh. It overcomes your temperament. It overcomes your situation. It overcomes your frustration. 
and enables you to be what you could never be, to do what you could never do, and to react to situations in a way that you normally would not react. You don't have an excuse because of your bloodline or your nationality or the family that you were raised in. The Bible tells you to put away anger and to put away wrath and all of those kind of things. And so often we say things that, oh, I wish I could take that back. Well, grace could prevent it from the very start. Grace could prevent a lot of sin that cost us and cause us a lot of trouble and ruin our testimony. It's by grace, and that grace is always available to help us in our time of need. And I also love when the book of Hebrews talks about Christ being our high priest. I'm really grateful for that. But um, if I come to him and he goes, Oh, here you come again. Well, yeah, I'll help you this time. But it better not happen again. That's not the picture. It says he is a sympathetic high priest. A sympathetic. Every time you come to him, you get his mercy and you get his grace and you get his help. And he prays for you. And uh, that is a, just such a wonderful thing to know that God is not reluctant to help me. I know I don't deserve this, Lord. Well, I don't deserve anything. That's why it's called grace. Okay? Uh, number six. We have grace to live in the plan of God. Have any of you been saved long enough to know that sometimes the plan of God is not your plan? Sometimes the plan of God is through a rough patch, a rough part of life, a painful part of life, a discouraging part of life, sometimes even a lonely part of life as we walk through it. You know, we find that um, uh, the Apostle Paul spent three years in the desert. I wonder if he liked that. I wonder if that was a fun time. I got a feeling it was a tough time. That was where the Lord needed him to be so that he could learn. That was his seminary experience. And sometimes the Lord is going to lead you into some places and into some things you never would have chosen. But 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10 is a great, great, great encouragement here. But may the God of all grace, the God of all grace, that means grace for whatever you go through, whether it's mentioned in the Bible or not, dying grace and living grace and sustaining grace and all of those kind of graces that come to our life. In other words, these, this sermon tonight is taking away all of our excuses, isn't it? Everything. We're to live and to function in the grace of God. And that means a whole lot more than just get saved. These things are the way we are supposed to live and the way we're supposed to think and the way we're supposed to be motivated. 1 Peter 5.10 But may the God of all grace, who called us into His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while... Perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. You know, we live in such an unsettled age. People are flighty. People are up and down. They're, they're confident they're supposed to do this. And then six months later, no, I'm supposed to do this. And, and uh, I'm supposed to marry this person. It's the love of my life. No, I don't like them anymore. I'm going to marry this person. And the way they treat their kids, we're going to be firm and we're going to be disciplinarians. Well, that lasts for a little while. And then they're just let to do whatever they want. And it's so confusing <coughs> to the child. Be consistent. As parents, Now, how do we do all of that kind of stuff? Well, we let the grace of God settle us 
by carrying us through our trials so we know not to fly off the handle and just panic and hit the panic button all the time. God's got your life in control. He has you where you need to be. Well, what if my sin caused me to be in that? Then you need to be under His chastisement so that you can be trained and you can learn how you're supposed to live. And uh, God is a correcting God, a loving God, and He trains us for the battles that we're going to face. And He also corrects the things that are wrong in our life. And He does all of that not out of anger but out of love. So we need to receive that as the God of all grace works in our life. And um, the next one, uh, Roman numerals. Let's see, this is seven, right? And uh, grace to defeat sin. And did you know that you are not in the Bible to have uh, or to think of yourself as I have the ability to overcome sin? No, you don't. You'll fall every time. But he does. And you are to be so surrendered to Him that He thinks through you and your mind is renewed by Him, that He lives through you because He knows how to handle every situation you're going to come up against. And He knows how to conquer sin because He did it when He was on earth. He lived a perfect life and He died the perfect sacrificial death. And so He gives us by grace the power to defeat sin. Romans chapter 6 verse 14 for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. The grace causes the Lord to be uh, the one who has dominion over us. This is one of the reasons that uh, I, don't, I don't smoke or use tobacco. I don't want anything to have dominion over me but Jesus. Okay, And that's why I don't uh, uh, drink alcohol, because... No, in my family and their history and all of that, it wouldn't take much to get me hooked on that. And I can't afford that. I don't want that to happen. I want to be available to Jesus. But you know, I've known people in church. It's not so much anymore because smoking's out of fashion. But boy, back in the day, we had people in our churches that they couldn't even wait for a sermon to be over. And they couldn't pray during an altar call because they had to get out and uh, they had to have their tobacco. We're not to let anything have dominion over us. I don't care whether it's heroin or any of those kind of things, as well as alcohol or even tobacco. Anything that controls you, you need to have dominion over it by submitting to the Lordship of Christ. Because something's going to control you, and it's either Jesus or it's not. And you've got to love Jesus and surrender to Him enough to overcome the sins in your life, especially the default sins, the besetting sins that kind of pop up. I didn't mean to do that. I didn't mean to act like that. I've got my share of those, and you've got your share of those things too. They're just kind of the way we are wired because of our fallen nature. And what is it that overcomes those things and changes us to what we really want to be? It is the grace of God, the grace of God alone. Number eight, how about grace for overcoming the past? Anybody here got a past? Of course you do. Anybody here have a perfect past? No, you don't. No, you don't. Stop saddling down the younger generation by giving the idea that back in my day, we really knew how to do everything right. No, we didn't. The judgment seat of Christ will clear that up. 
And when your children and your grandchildren see you at the judgment seat and see how much of your life burns up because it was wood, hay, and stubble, it's going to serve some of us who are older right when they say, oh, I thought you had that all together and you had it all perfect and your generation really knew how to do that. No, our generation, we needed the blood of Jesus Christ and salvation just like this new generation does. Our sins may be different, but there's still one thing in common. They're still sinful. And we are sinful people, all of us, of every generation. We were not less sinful in the 80s or the 70s or the 60s or the 50s or the 40s. The sin was just maybe more internal. You hearing me? It may have been more private. It may have been more internal. But it wasn't absent. And some of the same things we see today were present even then. And we look and just see we live in a fallen world. And when people say, oh, this is the worst it's ever been. Oh, you hadn't been to ancient Rome or studied any of that. Uh, it was much, much worse in those situations. Why? Because every generation fails. Every generation falls short of the glory of God. Every generation just blows it. Every generation kind of passes on flawed DNA and damages the next generation. That's why we've got to parent by grace. We've got to be married by grace. And even when you think about Titus chapter 2, the older teaching the younger and uh, that type of thing, well, you have to have two things, older people that are willing to do it and younger people that are willing to listen. But if there's not grace involved in it, if it's coming from the idea of we had it perfect and you guys don't know anything, that's not realistic and that's not the way it is. And some of the hardest toughest preaching against sin that I've ever heard it's when I watch videos from preachers back in the 50s I thought everything was perfect back then I thought everything was idyllic and innocent back then man there was plenty of sin apparently to preach against back then and all my life there's been a lot of sin to preach against and there's been a lot of sin in a lot of people's lives and some of it we just learn to bury it. We learn to cover it up. We learn to just kind of uh, keep it in its place. And the Lord Jesus says, No, I don't want you to live that kind of life. I want you to be free. And I want you to be honest. I want you to be open. And I want you to be blessed by me and let the blood of Christ cleanse you from all sin. Let the Holy Spirit move into the house of your heart like a breath of fresh air, blowing all of that stuff out so that you really are able to be well, we have a phrase where we say, honest to God, but very few people are honest to God or honest with God, and that's what we're called to do. But don't think that God is reluctant to help you overcome the things of your past. Old Testament scripture here. In the uh, book of Zechariah, chapter 4, and verses 5 through 7, we're entitling this one, Grace for Overcoming the Past. I don't care what it is. I don't care how bad it is. I don't care how shameful it is. I don't, I don't care how embarrassing it is. The Lord gives grace so that we can overcome the sins of the past. What's the context here? Well, Zerubbabel is back in um, Judah, back in Jerusalem, after 70 years of exile. Because uh, Israel and Judah had been so sinful, God allowed invading nations to come in, conquer them, and destroy them, take them as exiles for 70 years. And in the meantime, the temple is plundered, and it is just a mountain, a mountain of ruins. And Zerubbabel is back now, the exile is over, and he's thinking, what do we do with this? We don't have power equipment, we don't have resources. 
We don't have that many people. What, what do we do? How do we rebuild the temple? What are we going to do? This is an insurmountable thing. You ever felt like that? All of the sins of our past are weighing us down now and there's nothing we can do about it. And that's true. That's true. Except for one thing. The God of all grace can certainly do something about it. Take it to Him. Take it to Him. And notice here in uh, Zechariah 4 verse 5. Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. So he answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a, a plain, a flat plain, flat ground, and he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. So what in the world does that mean? The temple had been destroyed and it was such a big, massive building that Solomon had built that the rubble was like a mountain for this one man, Zerubbabel. And he's the one that's supposed to be in charge of cleaning it up and rebuilding it. How? How are we going to do this? This mountain is insurmountable. And the angel comes and he says, Zerubbabel, do you not understand any of this? No, I don't get it. I don't know how we're going to fix this. I don't know how we're going to put it all back together. And then he's reminded, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And this mountain of rubble that is here, this scar upon the land, this embarrassment, this constant reminder of failure and sin. It's going to be removed one of these days. And this mountain is going to become like a flat plain. But don't think it's going to stay there too. It's not just enough to clean it out. You've got to rebuild something here. And they're going to rebuild a temple. And the uh, angel here is telling Zerubbabel. And there's going to be a capstone. Now folks, he doesn't have to say anything more than that. Because you don't put a capstone on the ground. You don't put a capstone on a half-finished building. You put the capstone on at the very end to complete it. And what is the capstone? It's what our theme is tonight, what we've been reading about in John chapter 1. Grace. Grace. They had grace in the Old Testament. Sure did. In Genesis, it says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I used to think that that meant that Noah lived such a good life that God said, rottenness and junk and garbage and sin everywhere. I'm going to destroy this whole world. Oh, hey, there's a good guy. Look at him. Uh, okay, well, I'll spare you. You found grace in my eyes because I didn't understand grace. Grace is always un what? Undeserved. Noah didn't deserve it any more than anyone else did. The only reason Noah and his family were spared was because God chose to do it because that's just the way he is. And the only reason that you were saved is because that's just the way God is. He's merciful. He said, I'll have mercy upon whom I will have mercy and compassion upon whom I will have compassion. And his grace through Christ is greater than all of our sin. And that was true in the Old Testament. It's true in the New Testament. And it's certainly true today because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you need the grace of God just like it's written in the book of 
of James chapter 4. You need the grace of God just like it's written in John chapter 1. Go to the fountain of grace. It's a vast supply. It will never run out. Go and with faith checkbook, as Charles Spurgeon said, write a check and you'll find that you are never bankrupt. You are never depleted because Jesus gives grace upon grace. Grace for grace, and it's an unending supply wherever you may find yourself. His grace is always greater than our sin. And then I close with this thought. The sovereignty of God will never take you where the grace of God cannot sustain you. The sovereignty of God will never take you to where the grace of God cannot sustain you. You, as a believer, need the grace of God every day, in every situation, both good and both bad, because in the bad ones you sink, in the good ones you get lifted up in pride, and that goes before destruction. Always the humility of grace. God has given us more than we deserve, much more than we deserve in Christ as well as in life. And we've got to be humble before Him, to go to Him, to ask Him for that grace, to take our needs before Him and realize He is the source of our supply. Wherever you may find yourself, your situation may be different than mine, mine may be different than yours. Yours may be worse than mine, mine may be worse than yours. Who knows? But the sovereignty of God will never take you where the grace of God cannot sustain you. Do you believe that? That's what faith is, walking with him through the mountains, through the valleys, through the sunshine in the darkness, through the rain and through the snow, whatever it may be. And the grace of God is always there to sustain you. And it's an ever-present need because it's a perpetual need, but it's also perpetual availability. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. Why? Because the blood of Christ is the grace of God, the unmerited favor, God's riches at Christ's expense. Everything God is able to do for you because of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's the grace in which Paul says that we stand. So let's stand together and have a word of prayer before we're dismissed and let's give him thanks for that grace because when you look at it like we have tonight, it really is amazing. He didn't have to do any of that but he did because that's just who he is. Father, we come to you tonight. How amazing it is that you have any kind of patience with us at all. How amazing it is that you have any love for us at all. How amazing it is that you could find a way to forgive us of any of our sins, much less our big ones. How wonderful and amazing it is that you not only save us, but you would send your own son to die in our place and drink the cup we could never drink of the wrath of God. And to think that he would do that and yet he still loves us. He doesn't resent us. He's not angry at us. He's not looking back and saying, after all I've done for you or anything like that. And we thank you, Lord, that we are the prodigal sons and you are the loving Father that watches and runs toward us. And I thank you for uh, what it says when we take one step toward you. Draw nigh unto God and he will draw nigh unto you. And tonight we're drawing near to you. We are sinners in desperate need of your grace for every situation. Even the things we don't know about. 
And we come to you asking you, Lord, would you dispense that to us for your glory, for our good, and thank you because this truly is amazing, beautiful, wonderful, powerful, undeserved grace that comes through Jesus Christ. And that's why we stand tonight in your grace. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. And every believer said, Amen. Amen. Thank you.